podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Present and correct, unlike you for the past week. Listen, I have, I have legitimate, uh, legitimate reasons and the doctor's note, so I'm fine. Um, you, on the other hand, were up in the middle of the night for some bizarre reason, mm. uh, sending text messages at 21 oh, minutes to 7. Many of outrageous carry-on. I have no no rebuttal for this. Yes, I did, and yeah, there you go. Any, if there are any workplace lawyers out there who specialise in workplace complaints, uh, Carol Matchett is currently subject to some sort of modern slavery with the independence. So if you get in touch, he, he needs your help, uh, but not too much help. He's away off to Brazil in the next couple of days to lead the hedonistic lifestyle of a journalist. So you know, don't be too sorry for him. Mr. Matchett, today we are here to talk about Liverpool, obviously, and in particular Liverpool's upcoming summer transfer window. Um, Everybody has focused on the defence, but we've talked and we think the goalkeeper situation behind Alisson and the defensive situation also need to be addressed. But let's start with the news of the the day. Uh, David Ornstein reporting in The Athletic. Liverpool are unlikely to sign Jude Bellingham, that they're not out of the race, but that the cost involved is prohibitive now for a club who are out the proverbial pot in which to place their urine. Um, What did you make of this news, first and foremost, and what's your initial reaction to it? Because... I've seen a number of different reactions. I've talked about it on the Daily Red today, but I want to get your feel on this. Um, unsurprised, I think, would be my first reaction. Um, to be honest, I've been struggling with the idea that Liverpool might sign Drew Bellingham for quite some time. Um, not just this season. I think last season even was not questionable, but certainly I think it would have been a stretch even then um, with the finances that were going to be involved. Now I just think it's a nothing too much more than a a possibility pipe dream to be perfectly honest we've not been playing like a a team who he would want to join a player like that would want to join who could spend that kind of money who are going to be in the competitions that you need to be in to spend that kind of money uh so i kind of have removed him from my radar of even possibles to be honest and discussions that we've had uh, up in liverpool that has not been for me one of the more likely events for this summer yeah, I, I do agree. I think... I said this on the Daily Red, and I, I, I want your opinion on this. I said today, if 
Liverpool were in a position where they only needed one player in midfield this summer, where you had the goalkeeping situation settled, you had the quality of depth you need in defence, you had the quality midfield in place that you need. If you were to then parachute Jude Bellingham in as the final piece of the puzzle, then I could potentially see Jude making all the sense for us. But we have a situation where we need a minimum of three, and I would say four midfielders this summer. Potentially another attacker. I think two centre-backs. And I'd be looking for a starting left-back. Centre-backs as, as depth, to be clear. I'd be looking for a starting left-back, a quality backup right-back. And we've got things to sort out and goals. Well, I just don't think there's any world in which Liverpool as a club with a finite budget and owners who are, let's be clear, cheap. It doesn't make any sense for us to commit £120 million on Jude Bellingham because, while yes, he would be an improvement on name the midfielder at the club right now, it doesn't fix our problems and it probably means that everything else gets pushed down the road to next summer. As things stand, I would say I would suggest we probably need nine new players over the next three windows this coming summer, January twenty twenty four, summer twenty twenty four. If we only sign Jude, we maybe get one or two more at that after him pushes the other six to seven down the road and then you factor in Thiago's contract runs out next summer so that's another one that you might need Fabinho might be sold there's another one that you might need Mo Salah might go in 2024 there's another thing you need and all of a sudden as you kick the can down the road it grows and grows and grows which is how we found ourselves in this situation we're in right now yeah it hasn't been clever to be perfectly honest it hasn't been particularly smart uh, long-term play um which is quite frustrating because for several years we did it really really well but then when it came to the point of redoing all of that first bit of really good work we just haven't and i mean i've had different arguments you know like you know instead of signing Jude for 120 million this year, you can sign five players for that amount of money. Well, you can't. First of all, you know, 20, 25 million pounds per player gets you less than a Chris Wood these days. So, unless that's what people want to get five of, then I'm I'm sorry, you're not getting five players for that. You you might get two or three of the caliber that Liverpool require, or you might add another one to that if you get some very very smart deals done. But we're not seeing many of those getting done at the moment. That's that's the big qualifier here. We we see the odd one, like Luis Diaz, you can point to as like a, an example of what we need to do three and four times over, but go back how long you want to go back to get four of those signings at that kind of price who are that kind of level now. Not Cody Gakpo. Not Cody Gakpo. Not players who could be there in three years' time. People who are there now. That's what Liverpool are requiring if they want to stay at the level that they are. But that, in turn, brings its own set of problems, which is that how Liverpool have been so successful 
aside from you know the, let's say the quality of the coaching staff and the the individual quality that we've had in certain areas of the pitch is because after a certain point of getting to finals and losing and having to do things the long way around Liverpool as a team discovered this mentality whereby they realized how good they were and they realized that they could beat everybody else now the trouble that we've got now is exactly what you've just said that we need so many players you're not going to be transplanting that mentality into those players you can do it with one or two at a time you can bring in one who maybe already has it like Diaz, for example, you can maybe get one or two along the way to be incorporated into that team and learn that mentality and just have it inbuilt in them. Let's say, I don't know, Harvey Elliott and uh, Acosta Simicas when we signed him or something like that. You can't do it if you sign six at once. They bring that mentality as a new group if you're incorporating them all at once. Or if you do eight across two, three windows. That is a new group then. You don't transfer that mentality that you had in the old group straight over to this new batch of players. So while it's not going to be a case of being back to square one straight away, I I think people are are wildly overestimating how easy this is going to be. You can't just buy new players and then they are suddenly a team which wins again. You have to rebuild that mentality and mindset that they are capable of winning first. 100%. 100%. This Liverpool team is is finished. This group that we've had, they've had their day. Now, there are obviously many players in that group who can transition into the next group. And we continue to hear this is a season of transition, which is basically just a cop-out excuse being used by people that never mentioned that phrase prior to the beginning of the season. Prior to the beginning of the season, those people, those fans, those journalists, those people involved in the club, all put out the message, Liverpool are going to contend at the very top in the 2022-23 season. There was zero mention of transition until it became clear that this team had problems. But next season is when you will have a season of transition. When you're bringing your Allisons, your Virgils, your Mo Salas, your Thiago's, your Luis Diaz's. Not even Diaz because he's more part of the new generation. But that older group, you're bringing them from that team into this new team that you're now building. With new characters, new mindset, new attributes. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch? And those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. A new way of playing, because the old way of playing is dead and buried and has been now for a while. Last season, we played a very different style of football than we did in the season in which we won the league and the season before that when we won the Champions League. So next 
next season needs to be seen as the season of transition. Next season is when you start to bet in three or four new players that you get this summer. And then maybe in the January you add one more. And maybe the following summer you can add the other three or four. It might take two full seasons for all of that to bet in. And that in itself can cause problems because then Mo gets to 33, Virgil gets to 35, Thiago runs out of contract, Allison's 30, 32, I think, at the end of that period, 31 maybe. So, you know, you may then have to start replacing Virgil, replacing Mo, and you may end up in this cycle where we don't get back to competing for three more years after this. And that is the fault of Liverpool Football Club because for far too long they have refused to modernise and refresh the squad. Running players into the ground, sticking with the same group of players for far too long. If you look back at the Champions League winning team, Alisson, Joe, Fab, Virgil, Milner, Naby, Bobby... Salah, Henderson, Ox, Robbo, Atip, all still heavily involved. All still heavily involved. That wasn't a young team that won the European Cup. It was a team in their peak that won the European Cup. It wasn't a team that had much more levels to go up. In fact, I would argue the season they won the European Cup, they were better than the season they won the league. So, we haven't done enough of a job as a club moving some of these players on. I said this, I think, to you before. I think if you want a manager to build a great team on a budget, Jurgen Klopp is the best you'll find. If you want a manager to rebuild and have a sell-to-buy rebuild, Jurgen's probably one of the worst managers you can have. Not because he's not a great manager, but because he has this connection with players where he doesn't want to let them go. And by his own words, he'll never ask them to leave or tell them their time is up. And there's a lot of players in our squad right now whose time at this football club should have come to an end two years ago. There's also a lot of players at this football club who have been allowed to run down the contracts, not just this year, but in previous years as well. We've seen a lot of players under Jürgen's watch run down their contracts and leave for nothing, which doesn't help us as a club reliant on sales. And the other thing is, you also need to be willing to do what we did with Coutinho, which is sell players at peak value. And in truth, Sadio should have gone the summer we won the league, and Mo should have gone the summer after. Because that was the only way we were going to bring in those huge fees to then regenerate the squad. Because we know the owners won't put any money in. Yeah, I mean, there's always got to be, you know, a bit of a balance between um, keeping your best players and, and shifting them on when there's a market for them. And, you know, even if you had to exclude one of them, you know, let's say Liverpool, uh, the standing of the club, let's say, the not being a feeder team for the very biggest of sides, maybe that was part of the core idea that, that was there, you know. So we said, you know, Salah, greatest player we've got, whatever, we're not going to sell him. Okay, fine. But you still got to do that with other people. And, you know, we spoke about this several seasons in a row. And it's not just the fact of 
not selling the best players that we had at their peak value, but some of the squad players at their peak value. You know, Nat Phillips is, I think, just as an important example here as Sadio Mane, for example, because we could have sold Nat Phillips for, let's say, anywhere from the 10 to 12 sort of range. I think quite comfortably that summer that he helped us get into the top four. But instead, we extended. and well, we, we, demanded, well, we were demanding 15 to 18. Yeah. The problem, yeah. and yeah. no one was willing to pay it. And then obviously, like you say, we extend his contract. Yeah. So, I mean, like, th- these continual occurrences is the, is the big problem, not just with one player here and one player there. It's the fact that we've, you know, had two or three ways of selling people, the the loans and the backups who did go out and be sold, Grouch and Wilson and that kind, and the people who are here at the club and should have been moved on, Divock Origi, extended and then left for free. Uh, Nat Phillips has now obviously been here for absolutely ages. None of the goalkeepers have been sold at any point. Um, you know, the, it goes on and on. And when you when you start to end up with either people who are not progressing, they're stagnating their own careers, they're not contributing more season upon season to the first team environment, and they're not bringing in any money on on the transfer side of things either. Obviously, it's it's self defeating after a point, and and you do need to either then shift strategy and have money coming in from elsewhere, or you don't just have money and you can't spend it, and that's kind of where we've ended up. Yeah, and the other thing to consider here as well is the group who built that great Liverpool team under Jurgen Klopp. In terms of the recruitment aspect, not forgetting the training ground the dressing room and all of that, which is entirely Jurgen Klopp. From a purely recruitment point of view, it was a three-man operation. It was Ian Graham heading up the team who identified the players. It was Michael Edwards going and getting the players. It was Jurgen obviously selling the club to the players and doing his, his part in you know those conversations. Michael Edwards is gone. His replacement has resigned and is joining Ajax, which tells you he's not resigning because he wants to spend more time with his family. He's resigning because he doesn't feel this is the best career path for him at this at this club. He feels he can go elsewhere and have more influence, you know, more involvement, whatever the case may be. Ian Graham is leaving this summer. So that's two-thirds of that recruitment team that are gone. And you would have to ask questions as to why they're gone. Now, there's been articles that have, have suggested by respected journalists that Edwards, Ward and Graham have all left because they felt like they were no longer being listened to. And that's a very concerning thing. Because as much as people want to give Jürgen all of the credit... Much of the credit for the Salah and Mane and Van Dijk and Allison and Fabinho and Andy Robertson recruitment has to go to Ian Graham and Michael Edwards. We don't have them anymore. Not only do we not have them anymore, we don't actually have a sporting director come the end of the season. We have nobody lined up ready to come in the door. The list of targets. Now, Will Spearman is going to take over from Ian Graham, and that's great. He's very, very intelligent and very impressive. He's not Ian Graham. Ian Graham is one of one. He is the best in the industry at what he does. And when he makes it known that he's ready for another job, every top club in Europe is going to line up 
bring him in. And when Michael Edwards makes it known that he's ready for another job, every top club in Europe is going to line up to bring him in. He had three best possible people. Klopp, Edwards and Graham. And we've lost two of them. And it remains to be seen whether the replacement for Graham will have the same level of success. The replacement for Edwards did not have the same level of success and is now gone. So that is very concerning to me. And to focus back on Jude, I don't think if Michael Edwards and Ian Graham were still having the same level of input they would have had, I don't think we would have gotten as obsessed with Jude Bellingham. To the point where we have just written off a season because Jürgen wanted to wait. And we heard all these people suggest, well, it's worked for Liverpool in the past. They waited for Van Dijk. That's not really the same situation because Van Dijk had given his word. There's no suggestion that Jude Bellingham has given his word. We also remember the waited for Van Dijk thing was said in regards to Chuameni as well. And the problem with that was... Well, Chiumeni had already signed for somebody else. He wasn't there to be waited for. He needed to go last summer when that deal didn't work out and find an alternative. Also needed another midfielder as well, but it's neither here nor there. We have allowed a season in the prime of Mo, Thiago, Virgil and Fabinho and Alisson, five players who... 12 months ago, all of us would have said we're world-class. We have allowed a season of theirs in their prime, a precious year, to just piss away. Because we were waiting for a midfielder, a 19-year-old. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. So you're confident we're getting him then, yeah? Oh, but I've never been confident we were getting him. I also... (laughs) that it was the right idea yeah. for months I don't think this is the best strategy for us because we weren't in a position to just drop him in as the final piece of the puzzle and say right everything else in place on you go yeah no it's, it's not it was it's, it's not usually for any club regardless of what level they're at the idea um, or a very good idea to, to look at you know not a rookie, but certainly not someone with eight years of experience, but leadership and everything else behind them and say, you are the one answer to everything that is wrong with us. And we can see, we don't need to be 
you're not told things by Jurgen Klopp or anything else, we can see that Jude Bellingham is not the answer to all the problems that are at Liverpool right now. Uh, for one thing alone, it's not in one area of the pitch. It's not in one specific zone of the pitch or in one particular job. There are multiple issues to be solved, and that's before you get to the fact of that many people leaving the club and out of contract. Now, one thing I would say, actually, in, in what we've touched on before, and maybe maybe that's what we'll touch on again in the, in the second part of what we're going to talk about on this podcast, is when we talk about the recruitment and how much money we've spent and all the rest of it, we've not really been very active in bringing in players who have been out of contract to, to boost our squad numbers or to play a you know a squad backup role or that kind of thing. And we've spoken about quite a lot of players who potentially could have been. And considering the amount of players who have left Liverpool when their contracts have finished, I'm I'm pretty surprised that nobody at the club has really pushed the agendas of some players who are out of contract. I am as well. When you consider Joel Matip was one of the very first signings of the Klopp era on a free. Might have even been the second signing after the Gruyich one in the January. Uh, I thought that was a market that Jurgen would would push for us to explore. And you, know, you look around at some of the names that are out there for this coming summer. Uh, Milan Skriniar, not necessarily the best fit for us, but certainly a very good centre-back. Marcus Turam. He's the right age, he's the right kind of profile. Evan and Dicka, there's talk that Liverpool would like a left-footed centre-back. No, I think he struggles in a four as a centre-back. I think he's a better left-back in a back four. But, you know, he's still a good player. Uh, Yuri Tielemans, Daichi Kamada, Conrad Lamer, Wilf Zaha. Fabio minus his mother would be a, an interesting one to look at, but no thanks. But you go on and on down the list, and there's there's quite a few good players out of contract this summer who, you know, worst case scenario, you bring them in, it doesn't hit, and you sell them in a year and you make some money. Like, this is the other thing we don't really do, is sign players with the sole aim of developing them and shifting them on. We used to do it. We don't seem to do it anymore. Sign a player for... 8 to 10 million. Like, take as an example, Michael Elise. He was leaving Reading. He had an 8 million pound buyout. Why couldn't we have signed him for 8 million, loaned him to another Premier League club for a season, and if he does brilliantly, you bring him in, and he's part of your squad. He's got a year's Premier League football under his belt now. If he does well but not well enough, you could sell him for three times what you paid, stick in a sell-on clause and a buy-back clause to protect your future interest in that player. Worst case scenario, he flops at whatever club you've loaned him to, you loan him somewhere else for the year and try and rebuild him back that way or bring him into your squad and try and rebuild him by having him around your group and training with your group. We don't take chances like this. There's a number of really good players that have come from the championship and we've just ignored them. There's a whole bunch of secondary leagues around Europe like Belgium and Netherlands and places like that. That There's always a lot of good talent and we don't dig into it to find the best value. And that is where I believe likes of Ian Graham and Michael Edwards felt they weren't been listening to. Because I think those two and the analytics team and the recruitment team would have liked to have focused on that. Like, 
Jude is another example. Like, how weren't we in for Jude when he was leaving Birmingham? Why weren't we involved in that? Why weren't we looking at Enzo? Enzo left River Plate. Like, when Moises Caicedo was leaving Independiente de la Valle, why weren't we signing him for four million? And never losing money on that deal, ever. And yet we, we just don't take these types of opportunistic signings. We we wait till a player's value has crested and then we, we spend a whole year waiting for them. Yeah, I think it's something which needs to improve and, you know, potentially will improve, depending on now who we end up with as as our third uh, director of football in the space of the last 24 months or whatever it'll be. So definitely something we, we should hope to see a bit better progress in, especially if, as as is constantly the complaint in, in some areas, that we don't spend enough of our own money. Well, these players are out of contract. Yeah, you pay a little bit more in the wages, but across the course of the year, no, sorry, the, the course of the contract, three years maybe, you don't, not including a transfer fee. So maybe it's somewhere that we, we feel we should be a little bit smarter. Certainly there are options this summer, like you say. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby will go this summer. So we've gotten we've gotten every cent that we put into Bobby back. There, there can be no doubt there. Oxley chamberlain and Nabi Cater will both leave on freeze. And that's about eighty-seven million worth of player that we didn't get anything close to return on investment over, both leaving for free because we didn't do what we should have done and just cut bait with them two years ago and moved them on. Um, you've got Vinny left for free, Emre left for free, Moreno left for free. He was garbage, but Lovren ran down his contract to a year and then was sold for less than we probably could have gotten from 12 months previous. Lana left for free. The 25 million just spunked up against the wall. Um, you know, there's, there's just too many of these deals where we're not just being ruthless enough and saying to player, look, it hasn't worked here. It has not worked out. Oh, Divock is the other one. You mentioned it earlier. We could have got a really good fee for Divock in the summer of 2019. Instead, we gave him a three-year contract, a two-year extension, I think it was, and he left for free. How have we allowed that to happen? How does that happen? No other club does that. That is just blatant stupidity that Divock, after the title-winning season, whatever about keeping him that summer, you want to keep him that summer because he's just made himself a hero, that's fine. Summer of 2020, hasn't had a good season, You've got to go to him and say, look, this hasn't worked. This has not worked this season. It's not going to work next season. We want to move you on. We think it's in your best interest. If the player says no, you just tell him, look, you don't have a career here. It's as simple as that. I I see people complain that players aren't commodities. Yes, they are. That's why they're bought and sold. They are commodities. They're assets of the football club. And they should be treated as such. They should be sold when they are no longer of use. If you own four cars and you never drive one of them, unless it's a collector's item that is going to appreciate in value, you sell the fucker and get rid of it. Because otherwise it's just going to rust on your lawn until you've got to pay someone to come and take it away. 
And we do this far too often. And Matt Phillips is the next example. Like, if we get six million for him this summer, we should snap the club's hand off. Send him on his way. He does not serve a purpose at this club anymore. It is a waste of club resources, club time, and that young lad's career. Because he's 25, nearly 26. He needs to go and have a career somewhere. I think I'm right in saying, I can't remember exactly, but off the top of my head, of the five forwards when Klopp came in, four of them are going to left on threes. Firmino being the fourth one, obviously, because Sturridge left on a free. Yep. Origi left on a free. Yep. Firmino's now going to, and then Ings is the other one. Yeah. It's not, not ideal. Not great at all. Not great at all. And, no, we... we it's, it wouldn't be an issue if we were a club that had greater resources, but we are very much in a situation where club is left to fend for itself and can only spend what it it generates and one of the ways we should be generating money is by selling assets such as players and you look through the squad like i said this to you a few months ago i genuinely would be in favor of someone taking a chainsaw to the squad and selling all bar maybe 10 Maybe 11 players. But there's very few. But if the money was right, I wouldn't take it. Because even take a player like Diogo Jota. Now, he's done very well for the club. But if someone offered us 50 million for him this summer, I'd snap their hands off. If someone offered us 30 million for Harvey Elliott, I'd snap their hands off. Because Jota's not good enough to be a starter for us. And we're not in a position to have a fifty million pound bench player. We're just not. Harvey Elliott does not fit in our team. No matter how far Jurgen tries to force it, it just doesn't work. Yes, he will have the odd game where he does really well. He has far more where he just doesn't do well at all. Same thing goes for Carvalho. If there was an offer there of twenty million this summer. For a player we bought for five million last summer, take it and move on. This thing have been so attached to players; it, it is what will lead to our ultimate demise. Because players age, some players don't become what we expected them. Naby Kate have been a prime example. Sometimes it's best for everybody to just have a clean break. So, leading on to uh, the second part of our pod, I guess. Which part of the uh, defence gets that clean break? Well, let's start with the goalkeeper. So, Ali will obviously stay. Ali's been our best player this season. He's the number one. That's unquestioned. Behind him right now, we have Cuevin Kelleher. We have Adrian. And then we have plethora of young goalkeepers, all of whom are pretty unproven. Stephen Kelleher is 24 years of age. Realistically, he is never going to be first choice for this club. Allison is 30. You'd say minimum four to five years left of him at the club. 
Powering him wanting to go back to Brazil or something like that. Gallagher's never going to stick around for four more years. He's too good to be a backup. He's not good enough to start for a club like us. He's in that kind of tweener ground where uh, Palace, uh, Leeds, there's a bunch of Premier League clubs that could do with a Queeving Keller. Most of them are in the bottom half of the league. He's more than good enough to go to most of those and immediately walk in day one, first choice, position filled. I think he needs to be one who leaves this summer. I think he needs to be sold. I think we can get good value for him. People saying we'll get 25 to 30 million are living in cloud cuckoo land. He has four Premier League appearances to his name. Four. He's played 20 games in his entire career. He's Ireland's second choice. Ireland's first choice is Gavin Basunu, who's younger, more talented, and frankly a better goalkeeper right now. He moved for 12 million plus some add-ons last summer with a lot more experience than Kelleher. People will say, oh, well, Kelleher's played in the Champions League. Yeah, he played two games... Two or three seasons ago. He's played in some League Cup games and some FA Cup games, and that's his career. Yes, Basuna was playing at a lower level, but he was playing entire seasons for Rochdale and for Portsmouth. He had a lot more games under his belt than Kelleher. And again, younger, more talented. And first choice for Ireland. I think if we can get 15 million for him, Carl, I think we've done really well and we should take it. Yes, I think this is uh, one that goes into the Nat Phillips uh, conversation, basically, and that it's it's for Kelleher's career more than anything else that he needs to move on and get basically first team um, appearances and be a first choice and really test himself and see how high you can go. Now, from a Liverpool perspective, the smart thing to do if you genuinely believe in him is do what we did back in the day with, I think it was the likes of Jordan Ibe and a few of the others around that time and put in. Sell on clauses and buyback clauses. You know, if he if he becomes as good as you think he is, and let's say two years down the line, Allison uh, decides that you know he either wants a new new place to challenge himself, or like you said, go back to Brazil, or he wants to go back to Italy, or whatever it is, then you get good money for him, and you can reinvest it in, in Callagher if he's proven himself that good. That's fine. Do that. I think if you get between twelve to fifteen, that is a saleable thing that has to happen this summer. 100%. 100%. And people have said, oh, well, he's homegrown. Homegrown is one thing. Having an English passport is another. And for some reason, an English passport does carry an extra weight in the trans market. Cuevin Kelleher does not have one of those. But yes, he's homegrown, but he's not an English player. And therefore, he won't be treated like an English player. And he won't cost the same as an English player. A young English goalkeeper having done exactly what Kelleher has done with the same level of talent and ability, might fetch three to four million more, but Kelleher simply won't. Other, uh, the other goalkeeper then, the other senior goalkeeper, is Adrian. Um, he has been at the club now since 2019. He is 36 years of age. He had a good first season for us. Atletico Madrid at home, put to one side. He has been 
liability sense, for being honest. And it is time to move him on. Now, I understand that he's very good for the dressing room. I understand he's very popular. That's all great. Fact of the matter is, he's not good enough. He's easily replaced. And he's also a non-homegrown player. And this is one of the areas, your third choice keeper, where it's kind of a free hit to help your quota and sign a non sorry, sign a homegrown goalkeeper, because there's loads of them knocking around. United had Lee Grant until he's about forty seven. Uh, City have Scott Carson, who last so played in, in the nineteen twenties. We don't have to just sign some sort of, you know, relic of the 2000s. There's the option of going for someone like Ron Robert Zeeler, who's 34, highly experienced, eons of Bundesliga uh, experience, has, has played in England before, and, most importantly, counts as a homegrown player because... He spent five years at Manchester United before he turned 21. Again, he is 34, but bringing him in on a two-year contract, a better goalkeeper, by the way, than Adrian has ever been, bringing him in, to me, makes a bunch of sense. Get rid of Adrian, bring in Zeeler, and I think you've improved your third-choice keeper spot, and... We've added another homegrown player to the list, which is going to be important when we factor in that Ox is leaving and Milner may leave. So that, that's what I would do there. In terms of the backup, we do have a whole bunch of young, talented goalkeepers. I think the most talented of the group is Marcelo Pitaluga. I think he's got something really special about him. There is young Harvey Davies as well, who's been around the first team for the last two seasons so maybe maybe he's the option but for me if either of those is ready to step up into that backup spot and have Zeeler as the third choice sort of safety blanket and we can do that and make 15 million to place elsewhere without losing anything I, I think that's the smart play for us here yeah, I would be in favour. I mean, even, to be honest, doing it the other way around, I think, is fine if you sign a, a more expensive, expensive, not a more expensive, a more experienced goalkeeper in, let's say, the 32 to 34, 5 bracket, uh, even if it's on a one-year deal for now, and, you know, the option of another one later on, if, if everyone thinks it's worked out nicely, and the Peter Lugo or, or Davies or the 17 keepers that we've got out on loan, Jaros and all the rest of them, if they're the third and then they get another year really involved in the first team scene and then maybe they become the number two the year after that. I think that's where we probably need to be looking now rather than... That's what we did with Adrian and Kelleher, wasn't it? Adrian was the the number two for a couple of years and then Kelleher took over. And I think, again, yeah, I think that's what we should be looking to do this summer. Yeah, I, I think that that's... Goalkeeper style is obviously the the main thing that you'd be looking at here because the assumption would be that Allison plays most of the games. But we have to remember that he does tend to pick up at least one injury a year. But even so, there's loads of goalkeepers out there who, from the end of the summer, are out of contract, who are of a similar type. I mean, there are there are young players like Arnau uh, at Barca B, basically, 
um, who is very, very highly rated and has kind of told them he's not going to sign a new contract because he's got no prospect to become their first-choice keeper, he doesn't feel. Or at the other end of the scale, there's much, much older players. Like uh, He's already said he's not going to leave Coyle unless they basically boot him out ever, but Timo Horn would be that kind of example of what I'm talking about. You know, Someone who is in or approaching 30 years of age and would be on a free transfer. I'm not sure if Neto is maybe out of contract to Bournemouth. Um, there's there's loads. There are always lots of goalkeepers who, who chop and change or have been second choice and move on a free transfer and that kind of thing. It, it's not a difficult position to find players in as long as you know what style you are going for. And if we are confident, like you say, about the, the younger players who are behind them, then maybe you only need one year of cover. But I don't want to see us renewing Adrian and he goes back to number two, having been mm. number three for a couple of years. Exactly. And I mean... Adrian signed his new deal. It was reported by, I think, James Pierce that the understanding was that he wasn't going to play. He was basically going to be sort of the training goalkeeper. We had Andy Lonergan, I think, used to kind of have that role where he was only really signed to, for, for the training sessions. That was meant to be Adrian's role. Now, I think the only appearance he's had this season was the Community Shield. But still, that's one game too many as far as I'm concerned. But you're right, there are a number of goalkeepers out of contract this summer, uh, some of whom could make a lot of sense for us. We could, of course, tell Guillermo Ochea that it's actually a World Cup season, Mm. and he might just be inspired to be unbelievable for the whole year. Um, The funny thing is, stylistically... (laughs) Don't say it, don't say it. Stylistically... Don't say it. Goalkeeper who would make sense is a keeper that we had before, and we let him go, and we've had inferior Adrian instead of him. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. I don't want him back. I don't want him (laughs) back. I I don't want him back, but I will say he was really good in the League Cup final. Simple as that. He was really good in the League Cup final and somebody should take a chance on him this summer because he remains a talented goalkeeper. I like the shout of uh, of Arnaud Tenas from Barris. I think that's a really good one. Um... Inaki Pena at Barca, he's also at a contract. Uh, He might be interesting. He's a little bit short, Liverpool goalkeeper, but he is talented. Um, David Soraya, Soria of Hitafe, would he be of any interest to you? I mean, he wouldn't be of lots of interest. He's he's much more of a, you know, the shot stopper variety rather than the the sweeper-keeper, if you want to term the two of them like that. But he's a good, capable, experienced sort of goalkeeper, I suppose. He just isn't immense. I suspect he'll have first-choice offers in Spain. Definitely. Definitely. Right, let's move on then. Say again? He's a bit young for that experienced group of goalkeepers that we were talking about, really. Yeah, that is is true. That is true. He probably wants to experience a bit more as as a first-choice. Let's move on and let's look at right back. So it's very clear that Trent has had the worst season of his career so far. Um, it's very clear that there are a couple of issues there, whether there is an underlying injury, whether there's you know, a lack of desire to play right back anymore, whatever it is. What we do know is that Trent has been overplayed over the last four years. He has had minimal protection from his right-sided midfielder for the last few years as well. And he is struggling. But we also know that he's had no real competition. Now, we signed 
Alvin Ramsey in the summer to be the backup. Um, Calvin Ramsey's very talented, but he's a child. And he's a child that's had injuries basically all season long. Uh, he should not be counted on to be the backup next season. The other backup option has been James Milner, who is 37 years of, old, of age and can't run. So we need to sign, in my opinion, a backup right back in the summer. Now, it doesn't have to be a world beater. It doesn't have to even be a very good player. Just a solid 6.5 out of 10 right back who can take up some minutes from Trent in the Cups against some of the draws in Champions League group games where we're already qualified or as it might be next season, Europa League group stage games and we're already qualified. No, someone like, and again, he's not a great player, but he's solid. Ola Aina, on a free from Torino, homegrown player, versatile, can play both fullback spots, can give you a shift at centre-back if you need it. He's a decent right-back. He's reliable. I wanted us to sign Rasmus Christensen, who went to Leeds, and he's had a bit of an up-and-down season. But, you know, someone like that would have done nicely. Maybe Jed Spence is available from Spurs this summer, because they've got Pedro Porro. Emerson Royale, maybe his face doesn't fit. He could be an option if you want that more attack-minded right-back. There are options out there where we could sign a right-back to back up Trent using the money we get for Cuevin Kelleher. Because if we do the goalkeeper thing smart and sign someone on a free, we can put that money towards getting a bit of cover for Trent. I, I do think it's important that we bring in fullback. Um, I don't want to say cover, but I, I actually think a, a step above that and maybe a challenger for fullback, not of the elite quality, but at least someone who's capable and, and realistically has played good first team football. Uh, for me, the best one to have gotten last summer might still be a viable one for this summer coming. Um, that was Nusay Masrawi last year. He was free. Both sides, he's really aggressive, he gets forward well. I, I, I don't get why we don't go in for this type of player, right? It just made no sense to me that we weren't even considering him. He's a perfectly good footballer, yeah. he's, a, he's a good defender, he's good on the ball. We've played against him before and he's done well. I, I just think that he would have been such an easy win for us to cover both sides of the fence. And he doesn't really play for Bayern, yeah, well, at least he hasn't played this season too much for them. Um, since the World Cup has been obviously because of the high inflammation that he had but he's fine and he's back after that and all good so no concerns but Bayern don't really rely on him or, or you know have him in their plans as a, a guaranteed starter so I don't imagine if you went to them and said look do you, want a, do you want a quick profit on twelve in 12 months for him that he would be outrageously costly you know they had um, left hand side they brought in um, Daily Blind halfway through the season they brought in Jar Cancelo halfway through the season there's not going to be huge amounts of game time for him on either side of defence for the rest of this season. So maybe you know he he sort of looks at it and says, well, maybe if I'm if I'm going to be challenging Andy Robertson and Trent, they're two good players, they're two established players, but they've also not had a great season both of them, and I can play both sides. And maybe then you've got a bit closer towards a first team player mm-hmm. on both sides, and you've got three really decent players to always be able to to take one out you know even if he comes in every 
fourth or fifth game for Trent, and maybe third or fourth game for Robbo or something like that, he's still going to be getting a lot more game time there than he has done this season. And we're going to have far better, far more capable, far longer term prospect of a player. Um, you know, Masrari is what, 24, 25? 25, 25 like yeah, 25. So he's on the end just, of his prime. He still ticks a lot of boxes for me. That's the thing. You could sign him, you have three fullbacks. Trent starts 28 games in the league at right back. Robbo starts 28 league. Now, obviously, perfect scenario where nobody gets hurt. Trent and Robbo start 28 games each, and he gets 10 on both sides. So he gets 20 league starts, plus he'll play the domestic cups. There's maybe anywhere from 2 to 12 games, and you can give him a couple of starts in the European in the, in the Champions League. He could start 34 games for you over the season without ever actually being first choice. So I think he's really good. And I, I, like you, wanted us to sign him. I wanted to sign him two seasons ago when he was going into his last year because it was clear he wasn't extending. And Ajax would have taken 10 or 12 million for him. Instead, we did what we always do and sat on our hands. Last summer, Bayern moved and got him wrapped up in the May. Again, we were sitting on our hands. Now, the only thing I would say about him... I think he's a really good player. I think he'd be a really good squad addition. He can also give you a shift at centre-back. Played in the back three, so he gives you flexibility. On the left side, I want someone that can potentially be the automatic starter in 12 months, if not sooner. Because I think Andy Robertson has had two bad seasons in a row. I don't think he was good last season. He was okay. I think he's been poor this season. Now, his effort and his work rate and his intensity is one of the few in the squad that has remained at prior levels. I think his decision-making has gone drastically downhill. I think his delivery has gone downhill. I think 1v1 defensively, I think he struggles now, especially when players move the ball quickly. I think he throws his body weight one side and gets beat too easy going the other way. So... I want us to upgrade on Andy Robertson. Now, again, it's not necessarily something to do this summer, but it is something where you could buy somebody like a Rayanate Nuri, as an example, and say, right, this season, Robbo's the starter, Nuri's the backup, but next season, it's going to change. Nate Nuri's going to be number one. Or, my actual preference would be to sign somebody who's more defensive-minded on that left side so that we can become a bit more defensively solid and allow Trent more freedom to get forward with the other three forming a back three. So I'm thinking like a high-end Eric Abidal type. You know, it's it's why I would love us to sign Gvardiol because I think you could play him at left back out of possession. He's the left back in possession. He's a left-sided centre-back in the three. And that gives you a firmer base sit two of your midfielders and the rest can go and attack, including Trent, and you're not leaving yourself exposed like we tend to at the moment. Um, but Masrawi would absolutely be one I, I'd look at. Let's actually just go to left-back straight away. I would move Costas on for the same reason as we should have moved on Nat, same reason I'd move on Cuevin Kelleher. I think for the good of his career, he needs to be out playing playing regularly at this point he is I think is he 26 or 27 
Augustus Simicus is 26. He'll be 27 before the end of the season. He'll have served three years as a backup left back and as a regular international starter, as a player who's absolutely good enough to start for most teams, I think he should move on. And I think he's a player we can make a pretty easy profit off. We paid 11.75 million. I think there's a buyer out there for somewhere in the 18 to 20 million pound region for Costa Simicus. And like I said, I would be looking at next few years of Robbo as the backup and somebody else as the starter. Yeah, I would like to see a change at left-back as well. I, I agree with you. I think there's no reason to suggest that we would not make, at the very least, money back on Simicast, but I think 14 and up is realistically where we can go. And even if you're only re-spending that on somebody else, that's fine. You haven't got to make it a positional profit every way. You've just got to keep regenerating and improving the team. And I think Costas has done well. You know, He's had some really, really good moments, but I don't mm-hmm. think anyone would outright say he must be starting now for the next two years and somebody else coming in maybe has the opportunity to do that and either become the better left back themselves or push Robertson back to his best level if he's still capable of doing that and that that's the other thing like if it is someone like an eight Nuri who 21 has that huge upside that might spark Robbo into thinking I need really need to up the levels here or this kid is going to overtake me with Costas I never really got the feeling that Costas was ever going to be first choice. And Jürgen has never done anything to suggest that the idea of Costas replacing Robbo ever crossed his mind, which likely means it never crossed Robbo's mind after he was initially signed. So I think that's definitely an area to, to move on with. Right, the fifth centre-back is currently Nat Phillips. I would be selling him for many reasons, but the main reason is because the lad needs to go and have a career. He's 26 tomorrow. He's 26 tomorrow. Um, it's time for him to go and play somewhere. I don't think we need to buy a replacement because I think Sepp Vandenberg can come back off his loan where he's done well, he's had a bad injury, but he's done well. He had two good years at Preston. I think he can step in as the fifth-choice centre-back as of next season, he classifies as a homegrown player, so you don't lose anything for not going. Sepp can step into that role, and I think you just make a quick profit, whatever it is, five, six million on that, move him on down the road, and you've got your in-house replacement. Yeah, I mean, I've not watched too much of Sepp since the early days at Preston when he was not flying down the, the right side as wing-back. Um, so... I'm willing to take your word for for his development there and say that at least there won't be too much difference in pace. Do you realise that Seth Vandenberg is one of the fastest players in Europe? <laughs> okay. No, oh, no, he, he genuinely is. Seth Vandenberg. Hocked speed, yes. But yeah. What else is there going to be? Yeah. His uh, top I... speed is 33.06 kilometres per hour, which is lightning for a centre-back. Yeah. Yeah, uh, on the turn, not so much. As you said, you you just don't watch him play. So you judged him as on what you saw as a wing back playing too high up the pitch. 
very high up the pitch. Very high up the pitch. <laughs> very, very, high. very high. He's not a wing back. He is a really, he's a, a very quick centre back. But I look, he's not going to be worse than Nat Phillips. That's that's the only thing we need to know. Move on to the other two. Joe Gomez, Joel Matip. If I said to you, you can sell one or both. Just that, no names, you can sell one or you can sell both, what would you do? This summer I'd sell both. I would as well, 100%. Now if I say to you, you can only sell one, who do you pick to sell? Do you sell Joel, because he's older, because his contract runs out in a year and it's the last chance to get some money? Or do you sell Joe because he will be worth probably double given you know he does have a very good track record are this season he is highly thought of are this season injuries aside i think joel can bring joel probably brings 10 to 12 omez might bring 20 to 24 who would I you sell i i don't think we get that much money for joel matip personally but i would sell matip rather than gomez I think there's too much upside to Gomez still. He could still become very, very good and consistent if he gets a run of games. He could become the left-sided one of the three who tucks in, for example, if we decide to shape up the system a little bit. He could be a number of things still. He could be just the defensive backup for Trent if you really just decide that's all you can be now. Like He could still be a few things. He's a really good player. He, he lacks consistency because he lacks consistency in playing. But when he was... He was great. And maybe he never gets back there, but maybe he does. Matip, we know, won't get back there because his Agreed. peak athleticism, his peak physical prowess was three years ago or a little bit more. He's not going to get you know, more, more, more and more game time going towards 33 years of age, for example, which he'll be if he stays past this coming summer. So it has to be Matip. It, it just doesn't make any sense for it not to be Matip. Yeah, I think that is actually a fair statement. I, like you, would sell both, but I think if, if only one can go, you can still sell Gomez next summer. You can't Gomez sell Matip next what, Three summer. years on his deal as three well. Three years, yeah. We, that's it. We gave him the new deal after the, the knee injury. So, you know, you'll still get money for him a year from now. And, and maybe you get more money for him a year from now if he has a good season next year. Whereas with Matip, this is it. You, you sell him now or you lose him on a free in a year. Or, if Jürgen's making the decisions, you give him a new three-year contract and keep him forever because, you know, reasons. Um, I think you're right. I think the one to sell is Matip because it's literally the last chance to sell him. You said you don't think we'd get 10 to 12 million for him. No. You don't think a centre-back of his pedigree would have suitors in Serie A and... A Liga that would be willing to pay good money for a centre back of his his reputation. Forget get his caliber mm. because not even all Liverpool fans have realised the drop off in Joel Matip. So I do wonder if the wider footballing world realises that Matip for full on twelve months now has not just been iffy but he's been flat out poor full on 12 months but I don't know that people necessarily see it that way I still see people suggest Joel Matip is our second best centre back despite the fact that's clearly not the case 
the issue that I have here is that uh, I don't see another Premier League team buying him. And other than maybe Atletico Madrid, no Spanish team who can pay some money is going to buy him. He, he maybe fits Atletico because it's you know a deeper lie in defence, and you know Simeone likes very very aggressive that kind of a defender that Matip can be, but also has that playing out style, and also is coming from a big club, so it looks like Atletico signing players from you know around their level sort of thing. Mm. Um, Serie A, nobody's going to sign him. Nobody's got money to sign him for ten million pounds, not at all. Inter Milan, maybe, but are they going to sign him to play in the back three? I wouldn't. I can't see that they're going to. I think I think Joel in the middle of a back three could be quite decent. I I don't see Inter spending ten million quid on Joel Matip. I really don't. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Honestly, around Europe, back to the Bundesliga for five, six million, maybe for one of the Champions League sides. Atletico Madrid, if you want to go a bit higher on the price. But beyond that, I struggle to see who pays decent money for Matip, to be honest. There are not many clubs around Europe's big leagues outside the Premier League who pay significant money. And Matip is going to be 32. That is fair. That is fair. I will point out, though, that Borussia Dortmund paid $33 million to sign a 31-year-old yeah, Matt Hummels. Which is why I said maybe them, but even they have... have so stupid clubs do exist. <laughs> but they've signed Sula on a free, they've signed Schlotterbeck on a free, they, they do better work. Mm. I don't know. I think if, if all you can get is 5 to $6 million, I think you just sell Gomez. Because... What does five to six million really do for us? It's not like selling Nat, where generates the squad, makes yeah, the space. So does selling Gomez. Well, and it's not like selling Nat, team. where you don't need to replace him. You actually need to replace Gomez or, or Gomez or Matip. And but if you're only getting five to six million, like it doesn't really go a long way. That might get you some young prospect, get you Ralph Vanderberg. So you can reunite Sepp and his brother. I mean, like, I know it doesn't. Good, really, by the way, it, it doesn't really work like this in terms of you know the finances, obviously. But if you if you're putting together six for Matip and six for Phillips, uh, well, that's twelve million towards what might be a good defender for you. Maybe that's half the mm-hmm. the cost that you're going to spend on them. That's fair. Maybe that's fair. If you're not paying for Sepp anyway. And um, that is fair. 
And obviously, you, you'll get, you know, you might get a million quid for Reese Williams, sell him to a championship team. It's 13. So you're, you know, about a third of the way to the price for a top sapper or something like that. And remember, you're not paying the whole fee in one go anyway. So if, if you can get 12, 13 million in for those three and the upfront fee is 18 with the rest to go in installments, yeah, maybe maybe that does does work quite well. Um, but yeah, Matip is the one that makes the more sense to sell because of his age, because of the, the drop-off. With Gomez, with Gomez, you'd be selling low. You'd be selling him on a on a dip, which is never advisable. But you are gambling that he rediscovers his form and gets back to previous levels. Yeah, I mean, if we got twenty five for the pair of them this summer, I might be inclined to take it. I think we're at the stage of, of needing to rebuild where you might just have to accept that, yeah, you need the nine players, but you might have to just be short and maybe Sep gets thrown in at the deep end if the if the belief is there that he could do it and maybe he becomes the fourth for a season. Like I said, yeah. we've put ourselves in this position now where you've got to rebuild a team, a squad, a mentality as well. You've got to build a new group and you might have to take a step backwards in some areas to eventually go two steps forward. That's that's a very good point, and you know, as as we add them up, looking at one goal you need to bring in, looking at three potentially four in defence. That's four or five. We haven't got to the worst part of the team yet. And then you've got the midfield, and we'll have to save that one for the day because that's a whole pod on to itself. But that's three or four at least. That's at least three, maybe four. Potentially five if you sell Fabinho. <laughs> so now you're at as many as ten, but as few as six or seven. You're no you're at seven at a minimum. As many as ten if 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 you do everything. And then you've still got to look at the forward line and, and see what you need to do there. Um unless you're changing the shape to a four two three one, like this is going to get very, very difficult for Liverpool and Thing is, the more we push this off, and you know, take Matip as another example. If we were to sell Gomez this summer, or, or let's just say we don't address centre back this summer, let's say we keep both of them, and we sign a right back, one goalkeeper, two in midfield, and that's it. Well, next season, next summer, the other six or seven needs that you had are still there. And Thiago's at a contract, and Matip is at a contract. So now you've got nine things you need to do. Now you're back at position one. You're at another season adding on to it. Because you haven't done enough in one year. And as we know with Jürgen, he doesn't tend to like to do too much in a single year. And this is another part of why I have very, very serious concerns and very, very large doubts over his suitability to lead a rebuild. I've never seen him do it. I don't believe in things I haven't seen. So, you know, it, 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 it does draw big questions on what the next three to four years for this club is going to be like. 
It does. I mean, look, look, I can't say that it's just not going to happen because, you know, we haven't won the league before he turned up and he, and he managed to do that. So things can happen in those ways that it, that needs to happen. Of course. We, we need to find the, the ways to succeed. But there's it's very difficult to underestimate how much work there is to do here. There's a big, big job. It's not just the recruitment. It's the other stuff that we've spoken about. It's finding the buyers. It's it's finding the income from the players who we should have moved on already. It's convincing some of those that this is the time that you have to leave. You know, they've, they've been here years now, some of them. They don't want to leave necessarily. But that's part of the problem now. They have become comfortable, some of them. They've become overly comfortable. They have not got... I think the whole squad has become overly There's comfortable. There's definitely now. a big argument for that. And, and like I say, there's wider issues here than just the sporting director needs to be replaced. You know, all of these things that we're talking about, the type of player that you sign and all these groups of players that we have to sign in different areas of the pitch are not just built on an ideology of a manager from a tactical perspective, but from the team building perspective and from everything else. And I, I think this is going to be a very, very tricky summer ahead. I, I think it will be quite painful at times. I think it needs to be, though. Like, I do think it needs to be. And unfortunately, you know, Jürgen certainly certainly might turn around and change the habits of 20 years' worth of evidence and take the hard line and make the hard decisions and tell players your time here is up. The evidence before us suggests that that's not what he's going to do because we know by his own admittance wanted Firmino to stay there are reports now I don't know whether to believe them or not because I wouldn't trust the source on them he is pushing for James Milner to get another another year's contract these are not the things you do when you want to rebuild and reboot your squad that is simply the status quo and that really concerns me because people can say oh it's fine to give Milner, Milner a new deal because, you know, he's important in the dressing room. I don't care how important he is in the dressing room. I care about what he can do on the pitch. Because he's going to play if he's still at the club. Because that is who Jurgen Klopp is. I said to you, to Trev, to fucking everybody who'd listen and some who wouldn't, last summer, if James Milner starts a single Premier League or Champions League game for us, our summer has been a failure. He's played 32 times this season. He's on course for his most appearances since the 18-19 season. He wasn't good that year. And here we are four years later and he's still having just as much impact in terms of minutes played. Like He's played 20 times in the Premier League. Last season, 24. Season before, 26. Actually, because we had everybody injured. Season before that, 22. He's going to probably play 28 to 29 Premier League games this season. He's probably going to hit 40, 42 games played in all competitions. He's 37 and can't play. He's awful. He is awful. He looked so far out of his depth against Real Madrid. It was embarrassing. He couldn't do anything. And Klopp wants to give him another year. Like, no. Somebody needs to tell Jürgen, no. 
What was more concerning, Milner playing in that game or Milner not being Liverpool's worst player? Milner playing. <laughs> it's a question Milner though, playing. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, Trent was awful. Uh, I thought Diogo Jota was absolutely horrendous. He just looks like he forgot how to play football. But Milner playing was more concerning to me. I, I, I'm not buying the argument that Jurgen had no other options because Naby Keita was sat, you know, on the bench, not coming on. Um, Milner playing was more concerning because Milner playing was an indictment of where our midfield sits. And it makes Jurgen look really, really stupid because he's the guy who sat in press conferences and did interviews last season where he mocked openly mocked the fan base for demanding a midfielder. Mocked them. Oh, tell me why people talk about a midfielder. Sycophants laughing at his stupid comment when he sat in the press conference and listed off his eight midfielders, two of whom aren't midfielders, and four of whom couldn't play for a low-level Premier League team, and then said, tell me what type of midfielder we need. Good ones, Jürgen. Good ones. That's the type you need. Good ones. Lads that can run, that can tackle, that can pass, that aren't scared. That's the type you need. And all of the journalists just sat there and hummed and hawed and you know, twiddled their thumbs and stuck their other thumb up their arse. Like, just fuck me. Someone call him on his fucking bullshit. Please. Because otherwise he's going to double down at this summer. No, Jude... That's okay. New contract for Milner, and we've got Hendo as well. Like, fuck me. How are we still in this situation in 2023? Them boys weren't good enough the day he walked in the door. Upset me now. I'm sorry. I mean, I know you're not, but your tone of voice feels like it's personally holding me responsible for a lot of this. See, see here's the thing. You are a member of the national media. I wasn't there at that press conference. And therefore, you are responsible for the conduct of all members of the national <laughs> media. <laughs> oh. oh, God. No, it, like it's just... I really want him to be the guy that can rebuild this team. I really need him to get out of his own fucking way. And not make stupid decisions anymore. Like... He's the reason Henderson's not leaving this summer. He should be leaving this summer. Milner should be leaving this summer. Henderson's got two more years on this horrendous contract that has been a disaster from the minute he signed it. Paying that guy $10 million a year. You could have two vastly superior players for that wage. You could have three better players for that wage. You get Manu Kone, you get Manuel Ugarte, and you get Kefren Turam. I guarantee you combined they don't earn what Henderson earns. They're all significantly better than them. Instead, we're sitting here watching this mess where we're going to get lines about how we don't need to sign a midfielder because we've got Basetic and Harvey's going to take another step forward and Harvey played 40-odd games. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. You're setting up for a summer of disappointment. You mark my words. On that happy note.
on that happy note, go and do something better with your lives. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Carol, have you anything to plug before you uh, go swanning off to live the jet set lifestyle? No, I dare not say anything else at all on this pod. <laughs> He's got a piece coming out of my James Miller's new contract is a good idea. Oh, God. Right, folks, we will see you again later in the week, maybe, possibly, if I'm still alive. But all David Ornstein's fault. If he, he couldn't have just held off another couple of days, let us get into this international break, bury it on Thursday when England were playing and there'd be something else to laugh at. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.